And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. go ladies and gentlemen welcome we are live from the bunker my name is jason hutt i'm the editor here at sci-fi for me happy first contact day april 5th 2063 is when the vulcans land in bozeman montana and to celebrate paramount plus is running star trek the motion picture in 4k starting today only you can't find it unless you search for it it doesn't pop up in their star trek section the same way picard and strange new worlds and all of that does so somebody over at paramount plus needs to rethink a few things Happy to have all of you here with us today we are broadcasting live to facebook odyssey and youtube and we are available here this show on various different podcast players around the world. We've got listeners from all over the place. Happy to have all of you with us. And if you are listening to this show as a podcast, we do invite you to check out the live video at some points because sometimes we throw some video and some visuals up so you can see things, charts and graphs and all sorts of fun little things. So those nuggets you can't really get in a podcast and uh, we are back in the studio had to had to take some out of office uh, errands yesterday but we're back in so normally our first Monday of the month which was yesterday is our money discussion but since we, we were all out we're gonna do it today and we have plenty plenty to talk about joining us as per usual, let me uh, let me turn that one bit off there. All right, Dan Danvert and Matt Stevens back in with us this morning. Good afternoon. Well, it's not morning now; it's afternoon. How how are you two gentlemen doing? Well, yeah, great, <laughs> great day. Lots of uh, lots of things to lots of things to talk about, right? I mean, it's it's kind of been a slow week, but we do have a couple of things. <laughs> so, okay, um, where do we start? I mean, we've got we've got the Disney stuff. I want to get to here a little bit later, but I guess the first, the breaking news: Elon Musk uh, breaking Twitter by buying Twitter, and and the internet's having a meltdown over all of this uh how much of a game changer is well i guess for those who have been living under a rock and you don't know exactly what's been going on i guess we should give some background on this um he tweeted a few uh, a few days ago a poll as to whether or not there should be if 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 twitter believes in free speech or not and over 2 million votes, 70% came back and said no. And he treated, there's, you know, there are consequences to this poll. And then we find out, uh, the speculation was he was going to build his own, uh, he was going to build his own social media network. Not like we need another one. And then we get news that he's bought 
9.2% of Twitter and everybody kind of kind of blew a gasket and went, "Wait, what? What's he doing here?" Um so there's there's a lot of things that have come out of this, but when you guys first heard the news, uh first impressions, what what were you what were you thinking when this first broke? I was very uh very pleased to see it. Uh he was talking talking about starting his own social network which he has the wherewithal to do it he'd have huge amounts of publicity i think he could do any kind of if he needed to raise money which i doubt that he would he could do a stock offering and i think it would do very well and uh this is really smart just uh, he just took over what he uh, the company he wants to doesn't think it's run properly or, he, or he's he's on the board he, he was put on the board this morning yeah so uh uh, he probably is very close to having controlling interest in it. Yeah, he, that's no, it. that's exactly right. He, he he has a nine percent stake, but it makes him the largest single shareholder. And uh, you know, public boards defer to the largest single shareholder if for no other reason because that person has the most financial stake in any changes that are made. Um, you know, anything that comes up, anything that happens with the stock price, dividends or anything else, that person, because of their concentrated holding, it has more impact than anybody else. So they automatically, I mean, he went out into the markets and he bought his 9.2%. Uh, but the board this morning extended uh, a board seat offer to him. I also understand that it includes a, a limit to the amount of shares he can acquire. I think it's you know it's less than fifteen percent. It's in the fourteens, and it says he can he can acquire up to fourteen percent of the company uh, while he's on the board or ninety days after he leaves the board. Um, so they've reached some kind of agreement uh, where basically they're going to defer to him at least in part. Well, there and I think he would have a lot of. I would think he would have a lot of public followers that would yes uh, do whatever he says and even go buy shares to vote his way. Yeah, well, I think he's no. got, I want to say the tens of millions, maybe 70 million followers. So he has an immense um, group of people who follow what he say, says and does. And I think that's, you know, that brings a lot of impact. I mean, if he says something, you know, people are going to react to it. Well, and what's the significance of 9.2%? I mean, Nine percent, nine and a half percent, nine point two seems rather specific, and I don't know if that's just here's here's the amount of money I want to spend. How much does it get me, and yeah. and do it that way, or or what? Well, since we you know we didn't know that he had acquired the shares until after he had acquired the shares, so the way that's usually done when somebody takes a big stake like that is that they have you know a, an underwriter or one of the brokerage firms that acquires the shares on their behalf, and it's usually done fairly quietly so that it doesn't run up the price or run down the price. In this case, um, the price went up pretty significantly. Um, so my guess is the 9.2 probably represented some dollar figure. He may have said to his brokers or whoever, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to spend $3 million here or $3 billion here. Yeah. And that's what it got. But I, you know, I don't know exactly what the methodology was. There's a letter floating around and I, and I thought I had a copy of it up here and I don't, but the, um, 
the the letter that's being quoted as far as his, the decision to put him on the board, I think limits him to 14.5%, uh, uh, yeah. something like that. But there's a there's a question because a lot of people said, oh, he's going to fix Twitter. And outside of getting us possibly an edit button, what kind of being the being the 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 largest outside shareholder. And I guess there's a distinction to be made there, but the largest outside shareholder for Twitter now, now he's on the, the board of directors, what kind of influence can he have? Well, I mean, the, the other board members will decide how much influence he gets. Um, but <laughs> just being Elon Musk and his uh, huge amount of followers and things, yeah. um, it's not automatic. If he if he says, I think we ought to do this, it's not automatically going to happen. But the other people sitting at the table are certainly going to listen, because if they don't do this, he's probably going to go to his Twitter feed <laughs> and say, I wanted him to do this and they did not do it. And yeah. that's going to have repercussions as well. Well, and and Robert says it was probably the change he had in his wallet last night, how much he spent on this thing. But <laughs> the the other the other question of this is, um, you know, the speculation is they gave him the board seat in exchange for his agreeing to limit his ownership of shares. You don't go higher than 15%. We'll give you a, a seat on the board. So he's got influence as a board director now as opposed to, well, I'm going to buy 51% of the company. Is this is this a... a preemptive move on the part of Twitter to kind of limit what kind of influence he can have? I, I would think so. Uh, but I think he's, I think he will probably be able to get them to do whatever he wants because he's such a huge name. And I don't think they're going, they're going to have a very hard time banning him from Twitter going forward. <laughs> right. <I would say. laughs> right. I mean, maybe it was his motivation. Well, and speaking of that, does that, such a, does that give Such a him, microphone. yeah, but that, does that give him the ability to sit there and say, hey, I think we ought to unban the Babylon Bee. I think we ought to unban Donald well, Trump would, and, and Milo and whoever. If he did say it. So, you know, yeah. the, I mean, the, the proof of that is if he does try to get them to unban them and they don't do it, then he's going to go public with that, right? So that's so, the consequence, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I think he's got him over a barrel. And they know he's got him over a barrel. Can, so it'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds. Can he do that, though, as part of the as part of the agreement, you know, for the influence and whatnot? Can he exert that kind of pressure on his own Twitter account if Twitter doesn't do what he wants to do? Or is there any kind of, of legal prohibition in place that would prevent him as a board director from attacking his own company i guess now i would not think so i mean it's all public so it's i mean uh, he has a fiduciary responsibility to right. the other other shareholders yes he sure. can't so, so he can't he can't do anything that uh, deliberately affects the value uh, of other shareholders in the company yeah um, and if they they might have tried in this agreement to have limited his influence in some way, 
but he wouldn't be Elon Musk if he had agreed to that, right? <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I they really come to him afterwards and say, oh, by the way, uh, we noticed you bought almost 10% of our company. You know, is there, can we reach some kind of agreement here? Well, you know, that, that horse is already out of the barn, right? Because yeah. he's already owns 10% of the company. Well, and uh, it reads, I, uh, I see in, in an article here, 14.9% is, is his limit. But the filing here on uh, the SEC, there's a little bit of an interesting um, uh, discrepancy, I guess, because people are talking about just what kind of influence. This is a Schedule 13G, mm-hmm. and... Check the appropriate box, Rule 13D1, subsection C, for the filing. I don't know what any of that stuff is. I want to get you to explain that to be to me here in a minute. But Richard Richard Hart Wynn over at uh, uh, Twitter says that he filled out a Form 13G, which means he intends not to influence control on the company. And they were making the comparison, 13G versus 13D, but I'm seeing 13G and 13D both on this document. So what what exactly does this mean? I mean, the filing here says he's he's got what seventy three million four hundred eighty six thousand nine hundred thirty eight shares of common stock, nine point two percent, and it says here uh, nine point two uh, sole power to vote or direct the vote. That's that's how much influence he's got. And it doesn't I don't see anything in this particular document that limits him to the fourteen point nine percent. I know I, there was a there was a, no, no, a no. letter. I, that's a separate that's a separate agreement. Okay. So anytime anybody acquires substantial holdings in public companies, they have to inform the SEC. So you'll see every once in a while that um you know, uh, Warren Buffett does not publicly disclose what he is buying and what he is selling, but he does have to file with the SEC. And that's usually how we find out that Warren Buffett just took a big position in a company right. is when they file that filing with the SEC, that's a public document. And that lets us know what he's been up to. That's what's happened here. I think I don't know for sure, Matt, you might know, but I think it's a 5% holding. I think it is five. And I think after you acquire 5% of, of a publicly traded company that you have to disclose that. He might have some different, uh, since he's head of a, another public company. Well, that's true too. I didn't think about that. Reporting yeah. requirements, but yeah, 5% you have to report. I'm just looking here at the market cap. It looks like he spent a little over $2 billion on his stock, I'm guessing. Uh, the number so. that I saw was, uh, I want to say two point. I, I saw it somewhere, somewhere close to three billion. Uh, that's going to work now, that uh, put but that, it's up, up 20% oh, since they announced right. it. So, so yeah. that had put that, that, the, the market cap at something like 20 billion when he acquired it. Yes. And it's jumped up 20% since then. So it's at probably 25 billion today is the market cap. But he is the largest public holder of shares. So yeah, there's nobody else that owns that much. Yeah. Keep in mind, a year ago, the market cap was 55 billion. So uh, 
there's some argument that Twitter has made some mistakes over the last year. I don't really know <laughs> about their revenues, but the public's they've certainly done some things to sully their image as a at the town square. Well, what Twitter Jack, has Twitter? Jack, Dors- yeah, Jack Dorsey uh, left. <laughs> yeah. That was one. Well, and he only owns what two and a quarter percent. Yeah, probably. He so. doesn't even he doesn't even own that much. Well, this is the this is uh, Google Finance. This is the stock price uh, <laughs> over the last five days. And you can see here, as of uh, April 1st at 4 p.m., it was at 39.30, and then uh, f- jumps April 4th, 9.30 a.m., after after the news hits, 49.73, uh, 47.93, and it just continues to climb. It spiked at 53. Now it's sitting right now at 51 point, uh, 51.92. It just changed. It's up 30%. That's yes. people. That's people. That's people basically valuing the company now, yeah. because Elon Musk is on the board and a huge shareholder. So we should. That's how much difference it made. We should start buying yesterday, right? <laughs> <laughs> Best time to plant an oak tree was twenty years ago, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. we're we're going to be planting apple trees, but I don't think it's going <laughs> to help us now. But it, it's that same kind of thing. How how high could this go? How how much value could Elon Musk conceivably bring to Twitter stock? Uh, it looks like the company is currently profitable. I I don't I don't know that much about their business structure, but. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know either. I don't. I don't even know. I suppose it's ad revenue is where they make their money. That's the way most of the social media companies do. He yeah. could create a lot of traffic, and uh, he may have a line in the future on some exclusive aspects of it. And keep in mind, he's starting at Starlink, which yeah. is going to provide internet around the world. Right. And I don't think anybody could stop him on it. Well, Nobody can. Nobody will be able to boot him off of it. And Mazur has asked a question. I think we kind of touched on it a little bit. Can we rule out Elon's planning to buy more in the immediate future? So uh, if I, as I understand it, the, the agreement that puts him on the board, you know, that limits him to 14.9 as a cap on, on ownership. He's on the board until 2024, and then 90 days after his board position expires that's that's the limitation on what he can do as far as undue influence or anything like that. Past that point when he's no longer on the board, can he buy more shares? Sure. Sure. I mean, he has an agreement with them that limits it, but there's no, there's no SEC restriction or anything like that, or at least there isn't now, uh, that keeps him from acquiring more shares outside of that agreement. So... Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but on the other hand, you know, if he has that much influence now, yeah. why does he need to buy more shares? I, I'd agree. I mean, that's the thing. The only, the only thing is, is it, it might create more wealth for him, but it's not like he needs more wealth. And <laughs> right? I mean, he knows that too. Yeah. He's not, I mean, he's, I don't think he's greedy. I just think he's, you know, a spectacular business person with rare vision, and uh, yeah. every place he goes, it turns into billions of dollars. I don't, I don't think it's because he's, you know, watching every buck. Well, and the 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 current CEO uh, Parag Agrawal 
It says uh, over here, he posts on Twitter, I'm excited to share that we're appointing Elon Musk to our board. Through conversations with Elon in recent weeks, it became clear to us that he would bring great value to our board. It sounds like this thing's been brewing for a little while. <laughs> sounds like he wants and, to keep his job. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Isn't that, like, isn't that what you have to say? Well, because <laughs> hey, he's, you know, Parag has, has tweeted some things himself that, you know, you kind of look a little askance at because he he comes off as a racist in some things that he's posted mm -hmm. yeah. and you know an anti-capitalist and, and and very much not in favor of free speech so i'm gonna i it's one of those things you wish you were a fly on the wall or you had some kind of maybe a, a project veritas whistleblower in the middle of it to tell us what exactly goes on in those board meetings because i imagine those discussions are going to be rather lively mm -hmm. but i would say that you know based on my experience they're probably very cordial right now <laughs> yeah you know uh you uh, for at least the time being they're going to i mean because it's it's something that's already been done right yeah. So you can't really you aren't you aren't moving yourself forward by arguing with him or making a big deal out of it. Yeah, it will be interesting six months from now uh, how cordial they still are, um, is what I would say. Does that set up the hostile takeover in uh, scenario later on? We say, look, I can't get Perry to do anything. I'm resigning from the board. I'm going to buy 50 percent of the company. You know, I'm going to buy, you know, controlling shares. I'm running things now. New sheriff I, in I, town. I would almost think that he already has controlling interest. I mean, when you factor in how much press he gets and how much he could influence new shareholders, I don't know if a, someone in his position could encourage people to go out and buy the shares to help me vote my way. But uh, I, I he could that. do that. Yeah, he's not restricted. Okay. Huh. And I'd say if you know if his usual way of doing things works out here, then the value of the shares will probably continue to go up. Mm -hmm. So you know now would have been the time to buy more instead of three years from now. That I mean, in my opinion. So I, I think he's got the best of both worlds here. He did not have to buy 51% of the company, but he is going to have influences, as Matt pointed out, as if he owns 51% of the company. Right. So what you're saying without actually saying is we should be buying Twitter stock today. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, I do have the... Have last uh, week. Yeah, really. Uh, I do well, have right the... The disclaimer up that we're just discussing this. Right. There is no official financial advice being given here. Consult with your broker and your accountant and your, your tax lawyer and all of that. So a month ago, the stock was 32. Now it's 52. So, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and it looks like it's going to be trending up. Now, there was a spike and it came down. Uh, yeah. It spiked at 53.84. When, I guess when, when markets open this morning, 9.30 a.m., but, okay. uh, but right now it's sitting at 51.89 as of 10.45. So it's, it's... No question it's had a financial impact. The, the thing that I think is interesting is the, is the broader question, yeah. which is um, Twitter had come under considerable scrutiny uh, along with the other social media platforms uh, because there was uh, at least um, the appearance of bias um, 
against a more conservative uh, political issue as opposed to a liberal political issue. Well, and, and Jack Dorsey admitted no, as much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the markets all knew that. Along comes Elon Musk, a guy who is a free speech, a capitalism advocate. Um, who his, his position is well known, too. And he buys a big chunk and takes over an influential part of the governance of this company. And the share price jumps by 25 or 30 percent. So you would have to say that the marketplace in general uh, welcomes this other viewpoint into the organization. Now, whether the people who are there welcome it or not, that's a different issue. But the marketplace is saying, hooray, Elon Musk, because you're going to present a point of view that hasn't been in that boardroom for a while. Yeah. Well, and on that point, we've got this article in the Post Millennial, Twitter employees triggered by Elon Musk buying ownership stake in platform. So you have uh, the leftists, uh, progressives, basically sitting there going woe is us because now we're going to be working to increase his his wealth and value um and there's a this is libby emmons over here writing on on post millennial basically talking about twitter employees reacting online to the news uh that that he's now part of this you know Cassie Rumbaugh says, I'm honestly kind of terrified right now. She's a data <laughs> scientist for Twitter. Um, it's, well, I think don't don't think for a second that the other people sitting at uh, Facebook or, or oh. any other of the social media people aren't having the exact same feelings. Yeah, because this this big jump in the marketplace indicates that, you know, there there's pretty broad approval out there for uh, oh, yeah. the move in the other direction. Well, and, I was uh, thinking the same thing. I mean, uh, Facebook's market cap is $625 billion, So Elon couldn't get 9% of that, but other groups could. And uh, and the, who knows? There may be a, this may be the next uh, meme type category. It'll do the same thing with similar yeah. social media stocks. Well, and, and Robert asked the question, and Mindy's got the same question, unbanning particular people i mean robert specifically mentions donald trump but you've got other accounts that have been restricted that have been banned that have been deplatformed a number of them are conservatives but not all of them are conservatives is it possible that being such a free speech absolutist as he seems to be elon musk would sit there and say okay we just got to unban everybody section 230 says you're a platform you got to let everybody play or nobody plays course it's possible i doubt that it i mean there are some people that uh encourage some violence that he might have some restrictions on that but sure uh, but uh yeah but I, I, I do think that you know a big part of this is that people do feel that uh, some folks some voices have been wrongly closed out by these platforms okay. and the fact that he's jumping in is a pretty solid indicator and jumping in with Three billion dollars yeah. um, is a pretty solid indicator that things are about to change. I don't know if it's related at all, but and I'm sure this stuff was in the works before. But I had the thought when I was sitting at home last weekend and watching uh, the Academy Awards, which I hadn't done for years. And we had that incident at the Academy Awards. And I turned to my wife and I said, you know, I wonder if we're at some kind of inflection point or something. I think we I mean, are. I wonder if we finally hit 
some kind of whatever that's going to start changing things. Yeah. And uh, I still wonder about that. I mean, I, 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 I think still you're wonder right. if the mood I, hasn't shifted. I think you're right, because because you look at how how the reaction and, and we'll get into this after the break as far as the Disney thing goes. Yeah. Where you have people who are starting to speak up. Uh, you've got the you've got the Leah Thomas the swimmer thing, and people yeah. are starting to speak up there, and people are starting to sit there and say, "Enough is enough." It's it feels like like you're right. The pendulum has gotten to that point where it stops and it's about to swing back. Now the only the only question is, is it going to swing back to center, or is it going to no. keep going and we get all the all always, the way over to the always, other side? It always swings too far, yeah. uh, both ways. Well, and, anarchy uh, and tyranny. Yeah, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Boss makes a makes a good point. Think what this will, uh, what kind of effect this will have on the midterms, because Twitter and Facebook and a lot of the social media have they've been criticized for undue influence, uh, suppressing information, uh, most notably about a particular laptop uh, that was that was discovered prior to the November election and. There are people now that said, if we knew then what we know now, our votes would be different. And there's a clear indication that social media had a big influence on that. So what does this mean for political speech? Not just not just being able to complain yeah. about whatever you complain about, but but political speech specifically. I think all of these platforms banned the the laptop story or suppressed yeah. it as much as they could yeah. i mean if there was just one of them that refused to ban it that might have no one might have been able to ban it it seemed to be a valid story right from the start it was clearly buried on purpose and now it's proven to be a valid story yeah well and now the new york times has admitted as much as yeah mm -hmm. well yeah there's something to this but they knew there was something to it when the new york post reported it in october of 2016 or 2020 when was it 2020 has it already been that long good night we've already we're yeah, almost two yeah. years into this mess uh but they were they were you know sitting there on this story and everybody everybody i guess acknowledged it was true and yet we had like you said everybody's suppressing this and now we've got you know john durham and and his investigation of the whole russia 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 thing it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out on social media, too, because stuff is coming out now. There was stuff that, that came out yesterday. And is that going to get reported? And, and the Will, you mentioned the Will Smith thing at, at the Academy Awards. You know, that's getting particular types of reactions online, social media and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's the re it does, it's the reactions that are uh, powerful. Yeah, I it mean, does the, feel the, like the actually, we're getting... yeah, the event itself was you know fairly insignificant, not a big thing, but the way that it blew up uh, gives some indication that that there's more there than just you know one guy smacking another. Yeah. Uh, it's a bigger deal than that. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I think so. People were just intrigued. There was something exciting that happened at the Academy Awards. Well, that's true too. There hasn't been any drama there in a long time. <laughs> well, and and the other thing too, let me let me mention this before we go to the break, Dan, because you mentioned the you mentioned the pendulum, you mentioned being at an inflection point. <clears throat> we see, you know, uh, for example, we see Jeremy Boring and the and the guys over at Daily Wire 
uh, getting into movie production, and now they've they've you know said we're going to put a hundred million dollars into DW Kids. We're going to get into kids programming. It does feel like you talk about the inflection point. It does feel like there's there's finally some pushback from various different sectors. You know, Elon Musk one, Daily Wire another, where they're finally standing up and saying, okay. It's time to do something different because the, one of the things, and I remember Limbaugh talking about this a lot, conservatives have basically surrendered too much of the various different spaces where influence can take place. Entertainment, schools, that kind of thing. He said, we've, we've just given up the argument. You know, we've walked away from it as opposed to engaging in those spaces and saying, okay, Let's talk ideas. Let's talk about what you believe and what I believe, and let's leave the emotions out of it, and let's look at the facts, and let's see the, you know argue the logic and the whatever. And for the longest time, conservatives were not willing to do that, or they weren't able to do that. And that we've we've given up so much ground that it's going to be hard to recover from this. But then now you have Elon Musk sitting there saying, all right, it's time to put up or shut up. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and, you know, see see what happens afterwards. I think um, they used to talk about the silent majority. And uh, it's really hard to take when you know you're going to be attacked for that position. There are some of us that do and uh, can withstand that, but most people aren't willing to do that. And, and uh the way this has all worked with, um, you know, you know, people just, I mean, if you take a position where you say, I don't think that ought to be talked about in school, whatever it is, I don't care what it is, but if it's the gender thing or whatever, and you're going to be attacked for being uh, a racist or intolerant or any of those kinds of things, it's not worth the effort. What I think is happening now though, is that the silent majority has finally reached their limit. <laughs> And they're finally at the point where they're saying, you know, this just isn't right. Um, and, and I think for me, the, the tipping point on that is uh, typically whatever the issue is, it's a very small number of people who are involved. Yeah. And and though we can be sympathetic and empathetic to those people, and I, I always am because I, I'm, I'm really a live and let live kind of person. I genuinely am. That is my the way I kind of approach life. But at some point in time, you got to say, how, how, how are these, this small group of people dictating how the rest of us live our lives? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it may be 5% or 10% or even 15%, but how are they dictating what the other 85% of us are doing? And that, I think, is probably where people, have, I mean, I think that's where the emotion's coming into it. Yeah. And I think that's where people are starting to feel like, you know, we need to do something. Well, I think it's real evident what's going on with the school boards that yes that's uh that's kind of where it all starts and uh i don't think that's going to go away i think that's yeah. that movement well of, and, uh, and we talked about that you know with with the lockdowns yeah with the lockdowns and everything and and parents getting involved because they can hear what's being taught over the zoom calls and now they're sitting there going hey, hang on wait you're you're teaching what to my kid in this class right. and and that starts to open things up All right, so when we get back, we're going to talk more about that because there is an aspect to the Disney thing with regard to silent majorities. We're going to talk about that, plus the financial hit 
that Disney looks like it's about to take because of all of this. Uh, our discussion continues right after this. Don't go anywhere. Our transmitters are made from hand wavium. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. It's like, what? okay, hold on. You've got somebody, and all he does is put on some glasses and slicks back his hair, and nobody knows who he is. Nobody recognizes him. It's it's it's, it's like that that uh, that scene in in the Green Lantern movie where she looks at him and it's like, how? You know, it's like you just put on a mask and you expect me not to recognize you. The H two O podcast Monday night at eight only on Sci Fi for Me TV. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Did I did I lead with that song? I think I played that song. I, don't oh. I heard some jazz earlier. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here, along with Dan Danford, Matt Stevens, talking money. And Dan, you mentioned the you mentioned the slap on the Oscars. I think it's interesting to note. Uh, it has come out uh, recently. Uh, you talk about the reaction and the fallout and the and the aftermath of that. There are a lot of people who are now talking about uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's condition, her alopecia. And funnily enough, by some quirk of fate, some wild coincidence, there is a new treatment for alopecia coming to market from Pfizer, which sponsored the Oscars this year. <laughs> I had not heard that conspiracy. Oh, me surprised. Yeah. <laughs> it could happen. See if, see if she's the spokesperson. Well, and it's, and, well, no, it, I mean, that's that it documented. I mean, we knew that Pfizer yeah. was sponsoring the Oscars to begin with already, but uh, it, it's, as it turns out, they have a, they have an alopecia treatment coming uh-huh. and, you know, one man's conspiracy theory is, is tomorrow's <laughs> headlines in, in the New York times. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy stuff. (laughs) All right. A couple of follow-ups on some stories that we've talked about before. This is uh, Deadline. Craig Gillespie to direct a GameStop stock pick for MGM based on Ben Misrick's book, The Antisocial Network. Uh, This, of course, uh, is uh, going back to way back, I guess maybe now a a year, Uh, the GameStop... uh, run on the stock people you know short short listed it and it became this hot ticket because of reddit so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out i have not read that book i'm not i'm not familiar with it but it basically details what happened and then we've got this warner media ceo jason kalar exits ahead of the merger with discovery so he is on the way out uh, the merger between Warner Media and Discovery Channel, uh, I think, is happening middle of this month. So we'll see where Jason Kalar lands after all of this. So there is there is that. All right. So <coughs> we talked about the silent majority. Let's go back to the Disney thing because on Thursday, uh, Judah Engelmeyer was in here. We were talking about the PR aspects of all of this that's going on with Disney versus the state of Florida. And 
you talk about the reactions to that, the fact that so many people are 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 offering their opinions at without ever having read the bill to begin with. They're just going off of what they're seeing on social media, what the media says, or anything like that. And it's it's interesting to me that we have the public chatter and then the stuff that's not so public. This is here in Fox News. Silent majority of Disney employees support Florida law. Disney employee running for Congress says. This is uh, Tyler O'Neill at Fox. And talking about Jose Castillo, who's a current Walt Disney Company employee, he's running for Congress in Florida as a Republican, says that the silent majority of Disney employees support HB 1557, despite the loud minority leading Disney to take a stance against the law. Uh, He says there's an immense pressure inside to toe the company line, but there are a lot of people who are not happy that Disney is taking this position especially given what they've already done, you know, Disney taking a hit over, you know, shooting Mulan so close to a concentration camp in China, among other things. And it's, it's one of these things where you talk about uh, the, the vocal minority and Dan, I think your numbers were a little bit high. Okay. I, because we ran across a chart over on, I think it was U, YouGov. Uh, Carl Benjamin had posted the posted the chart. It came from an article, and we looked at it on on Thursday. the The population, the percentage of population in the United States, and this was a chart of perceived numbers versus actual numbers. And when it comes to transgender people, which is a lot of where this is coming from. The perception, like you said, 21% of the population is transgender when the actual number is 1%. 1%. And people who identify as bisexual, 3%, as opposed to the perceived 40%. So there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of noise online that gives us the perception that this group is, is bigger than it actually is. And well, I, this, yeah. this this tiny, tiny, tiny group that's driving the bus. And I think you could, you know, say, well, you know, some of us are empathetic and sympathetic to the issues that these people face. And, you know, I would I would fall into that category. I, I am empathetic and sympathetic. Where I have an issue is that we're changing the way everybody does everything for a really tiny bit of you know, the population. Now, I, I don't want people discriminated against. I mean, I, I don't. And uh, I don't think that's right. But when you look at like this bill, for instance, I mean, all it does really is say that there are certain subjects that we are not going to instruct children about in the classroom that are in the kindergarten through third grade. Right. That's really what it says. It just said these are certain subjects that we are not going to instruct about doesn't say we can't have, you know, other casual conversations, can't have a picture of my husband or my wife on my dick. It doesn't say that. What yeah. it says is we cannot instruct on these issues. 
Well, well and I that's even just a single line in the whole bill. Because yes. the most of it is parents have a right to, un, to, to know information about how their kids are being taught, what their kids are being taught. Communicate with the parents when anything happens disciplinary or... Or any of that. You've got this one line in the bill that talks about, you know, gender and, and sexuality, right. you know, in, in an age-appropriate manner. And people are blowing a gasket over this and not looking at the rest of the bill. The rest of the bill basically says parents have a right to be involved in their kids' education. Which is a real, uh, it's a real popular idea. Most of us agree with that. Yeah. But I can also tell you, I, I have substantial um uh, experience with uh, with professional education, with public education, and there are a lot of those people who do not believe that is true. They believe they know they know what's best for kids, and that they should be able to present that despite what the parents think. Yeah. It's kind of like I saw I heard somebody yesterday, and they did a really good job with that. And they said the gender issues are in a lot of ways like the uh, environmental issues. There are people out there who do not care about the economic ramifications of environmental issues. They feel so strongly principled on the idea that they really genuinely don't care what the consequences are to trying to fix that. And I think this is one of those subjects as well. The people who feel strongly about this, they, they don't care about the other 95% or the 97%. They care about the one or two or 3%. And so it's really hard to come to an accommodation with people who feel that strongly about something. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that Disney took a stand on it at all. They seems like they should have just kept quiet. They're very, very family oriented. They are marketing to parents, not to children. And I kind of, very surprised that they said anything at all about this bill. Well, and and looking at the timeline for what happened, I mean, Bob Chapek came out and he sends a memo to everybody and he said, you know, th this goes back to the three pillars. This is what we're going to do. This is our company philosophy. We're not going to we're not going to antagonize. We're not going to attack our, our customer base or anything like that. And then you had the investor call where people started talking about, well, why haven't you taken a stance against this? And he sends another memo out that basically says, we've been having conversations behind the scenes, you know, with people and, and that, and admitted basically to donating money to both sides of the of the aisle because you want access to whoever gets elected. This is this is an old story. No no but this is nothing new. And people blow a gasket and now you've got the, you know, these letters that come out that Oh, Disney has censored Pixar, and we can't talk about this, we can't do this, and we can't do that. And you have now uh, Christopher Rufo coming out with all of these uh, uh, video grabs of the internal Zoom calls where they're basically admitting to having an agenda to push uh, gender and sexuality issues in all of their programming and their casting and their projects and everything. And people are now looking at this going, wait a minute. Why is this such a big thing, and why is Disney why is Disney willing to die on this hill? Because Disney's going to die on this hill, uh, especially given the irony of it. Because with Disney going into other countries where homosexuality is illegal, sometimes punishable by death, it kind of gives the lie to the sincerity of this. It's Disney pandering to a you know, one to three percent of the population for whatever reason. And 
Yeah, Dan, you talk about copyright, uh, or you talk about consequences. Yeah, You've got, um, uh, where is this? Um, the Reedy, oh, yeah, the, the Reedy uh, Creek yeah. Act, which was put in place so essentially Disney World in in Florida could govern its own space. You know, there's there's tax consequences and all of these other things that come into this, and now they're looking at taking that away. What does that do to Disney World financially? It's like um, any uh, royalty product, any intellectual property. Um, You know, there are limits to the length of time that you control that particular asset. I mean, whether it's a book or a piece of music that you wrote or a character that you create, there is a limited legal time where you have exclusive use of that. Yeah. And I guess some of those things have been extended, especially for Disney. Yeah, the uh, Sonny Bono that was that. involved in that. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and you know, I, 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 I mean, I, I think it's a danger. I mean, you know, basically what they're doing is they're upsetting uh, certainly a conservative group of people with influence. And that's one of the consequences, I guess, that could happen in Congress. And the, some of the people that are uh, canceling their Disney trips are probably unaware that Disney owns Pooh Bear and <laughs> yeah. all of that entire franchise. Well, and and you know the 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 copyright stuff, you know this doesn't this doesn't cover everything that Disney owns. But you go all the way back to Steamboat Willie, for example, which was the first Mickey Mouse. That's about to come out of copyright, I think, in twenty twenty four, and. If Congress decides we're not going to extend copyright protections on this or other thing, I mean, this could affect not just Disney. This could affect DC Comics. You know, this could affect the Superman rights. This could affect the Spider-Man rights over at Marvel. This could affect everything moving forward because Disney has decided to draw a line in the sand over this one bill in Florida. I mean, this didn't get as much activity when Disney took a took a stand against the abortion bill in Georgia a couple of years ago. You know, they threatened to pull all of their business out of Atlanta. You know, we're not going to shoot any movies here if this if this bill goes forward. That turned out to be kind of a paper tiger. But this one now, there's there's some real teeth in the pushback on this. It's like okay. Disney, you wanna you wanna you wanna die on this hill? Let's hear. You lose your copyright and you lose all of your tax protections with Reedy Creek. Now what are you gonna do? You know, it, it well, doesn't feel like yeah. it doesn't feel like DeSantis is gonna is gonna back down on any of this stuff. It's a very and it's like Matt said earlier, it's surprising that they um that they took a stand on this. Um, it, it's kind of hard to, I mean, there there is significant financial risk in them taking a stand on these issues. And um, and we're seeing that already, but I mean, it could go further. Now, I, you know, I don't know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I, the, there's a lot of saber rattling going on as well. So I'm not sure that they'll really take away their copyrights or any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, they're talking about it. So, I mean, that's that's a risk in itself. Well, the copyright thing has been a discussion in the past because there are a lot of people that think that the the extension that Disney got to begin yeah. with was unfair, not just 
not just because of how it affects the Mickey Mouse and Winnie the Pooh and all of that, but copyright in general was affected by this in that, you know, so much that was about to become public domain now is not. And you look at the original copyright law from way, way back, and the original copyright law, I think, held for 14 years. And then after which it was out in the public domain. This now we're now we're uh, I think seventy two years past the death of the creator. Yes. You know that's all. That's that's much longer than fourteen years. And it was like, okay, how did we get to this point? And does it do us better? Is there benefit to all of these stories coming out into public domain? Can other people... What happens when Star Wars goes into the public domain? You know, what happens when Star Trek or Doctor Who goes into the public domain? What happens then? I mean, it's the same Uh, with with musicians and stuff and albums. And, you know, there's a reason why Bob Dylan and and, uh, Bruce Springsteen and and David Crosby have all sold their uh, their royalty rights. because they that basically what they've done is taken a potential stream of income going forward and turned it into a cash uh, amount right now that can be shared with their family after they're gone instead of being strung out over the next 30 years or whatever so yeah. uh, i mean there there are a lot of people who uh, depend on royalty streams of one kind or another for income and uh, it's it's really interesting I mean, what does the bigger issue for Disney is if those characters went into the public domain, how does that change, especially their theme parks? I mean, if anybody could use Mickey Mouse or anybody could use uh, Pooh Bear or whatever, yeah. uh, they would, right? Right. I would think so. Well, in and Disneyland. Robert yeah. makes a point. He says, Disney's a company with two theme parks in China and the desire to sell billion-dollar movies in China. It's not in a long-term position to take public morals positions like this. And even then, really, no matter no matter what your position on the bill, one right. way or the other, I mean, we saw this reaction with Oreo cookies this week coming out with a short film that's got some Oreo product placement about this kid coming out as gay to his grandparents. And the reaction on Twitter is, you guys make cookies. Just make cookies. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. just, it just, just make cookies. You're a cookie company. Make cookies. And the reaction to Disney is essentially the same thing. You guys make movies. You guys make, you know, you have, you have theme parks. You have, uh, you have cartoons. Just do that. Don't, don't pay, take a political position one way or the other, for or against, left or right, doesn't matter. You're you're an entertainment company. You're not a political action group. You're not a political party. You're not running for office. Although Bob Iger has got political aspirations, of course. But this this is one of those things, and you can see here. This is the this is the one day dip that we've had so far in the Disney stock. That's down, you know, almost to. Two and, a, two, and a, two and a quarter percent, $135 now per share. And over the last five-day trend, I mean, all of the, you know, you look at the six-month trend, down 22.5%. Year-to-date, it's down 13. And look at all of these dips that it's taken all of this, and it's on its way down again. 
Elon, get out your checkbook. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Well, and and this there's a, a an opinion piece in Variety from Mark Pinsky. says, DeSantis' attack on Disney recalls a 90s culture war that the right lost. And he's making the comparison to the Southern Baptist Convention coming out against the Walt Disney Company when they started having their gay-themed days and, and recognizing same-sex couples and, and rights and and benefits and stuff for the employees. And I don't know that that's an accurate analogy here. I don't think that this is the same kind of thing because... This doesn't feel like a, a moral majority type of thing. Like when when uh, when Tipper Gore went after Dungeons and Dragons, for example. This this feels like it's a much more fundamental to our way of life as Americans, as people, as humans, as 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 it's it's not so much. Well, it's just this one thing that we believe. This is everything. I mean, it's, it's like the whole the whole kit and caboodle got thrown into the pot for this. And we we know how the midterms are going to go. That's going to factor into this. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost like Disney's deliberately deciding to cut its own throat. Business from a business standpoint, because they're going to they have to uh, lose money on this. Probably some executives that feel really good about taking us a stand publicly and they're willing to take some uh, flack for it. I don't know why you would allow your people to do that, but it, how, it seems how much of this just kept quiet about it. Yeah. But how much of this could be Bob Iger's people that are still on the board and Bob Iger's people in the, in the C-suite deciding, okay, we're going to do this <clears throat> in order to weaken Bob Chapek and get him out. We don't like the way Chapek's doing things. We don't like the people that he's bringing in because, you know, Iger was was politics. And and he's even said now it's all a company has to take a stand about right and wrong and and, and all of this. And that interview with Jon Stewart didn't go quite as well as Iger expected it to. But Iger is of the position and, and I think he's still angling for some kind of political, whether it's an ambassadorship or if he's getting ready to run for office somewhere. But Iger's position is that companies do have to advocate, and Chapek's completely opposite of that. And you know he's got to be having discussions with Susan Arnold, chairman of the board. So how much, how much could this be Iger's people internally trying to make Chapek weak to get him out? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that might work, but... That would be a pretty convoluted way to do it. Uh, yeah, of course they have, they have no idea how big the thing would become. I think it's becoming very big. Yeah, I do too. So. I I think it more shows, um, you know, for a long time uh, Americans have felt like the people in California are on a different planet somehow, <laughs> and I think you know basically uh, the Disney uh, Corporation is is made up of uh, creative types and. California. I think they feel really strongly about this issue. And I don't think they particularly 
well, first of all, they may not have known what kind of impact this was going to have on the on the company. Yeah. But if they did know, I'm not sure they wouldn't have taken the position anyway, because they feel like they're on the moral high ground here. Yeah. And uh, like so many other things, I, you know, I bless them for fighting what they want to do. <laughs> but the consequence of that is probably billions of dollars uh, in, in lost shareholder value. And uh, there, there can be a consequence from that, too. Other shareholders may sue them at some point and say, look what you did and look what it cost us yeah. uh, collectively. So, well, and not only that, but, you know, you consider how many how many employees in Florida don't right. necessarily believe that way. I mean, Florida is a red state. It's it's not necessarily predominantly conservative, but there's a good number of conservatives who work for the company in Florida, they've got to be looking at this going, Hey guys, um, can we stop with the crazy here and, and just do our job and entertain people? You know, there's always, I always, I spend a lot of time talking about the bell curve. The bell curve applies to almost everything. And, and what it basically says is there's a sixth of the people who, who absolutely hate the idea. There's a sixth of the people who absolutely love the idea. And the other two thirds of the people fall somewhere in the middle. And my guess is whether you went into Disney or any place else and, and actually polled people and took their temperature on this, that's what you're going to find out yeah. is that. Two thirds of the people are kind of like, well, I'm sympathetic to that, but I don't know that you need to do this kind of thing, because I think that's where most of us fall. But you still have the one sixth on each side, and they're the ones that, at least in recent history, have been defining the arguments for all the rest of us. So what happens to the Walt Disney Company's bottom line if their tax protections and whatnot from the Reedy Creek Act get revoked. What does that do to them? It ain't good for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I think parks are 35% of their revenue. Um, I can't imagine Congress will really do anything against them. I think it'll be more the public just quits buying their some people in the public will quit attending their parks or buying their products yeah they'll get over it though so well we'll see how it goes we will keep an eye on that we'll keep an eye on the uh on the stock price i don't know maybe it'll get low enough we buy some buy some disney and buy some twitter and and then yeah, we make out like controlling interest <laughs> There we go. All right. I don't own either one, though. I'm just telling you right now. I don't know. I do not own either one, with the exception maybe of some index funds. (laughs) Yeah, me. I don't own either. All right. Well, gentlemen, we will leave that there. Thank you very much for being here again. Dan Danford, where can people find you? Uh, You can look me up on Facebook, Dan Danford, or you can look us up online at familyinvestmentcenter.com. And Matt, you're independent and private, and nobody can look yeah. for you at all. Find me on Facebook if they want. So I don't do right. anything. All right. Uh, retail, and we mentioned the Oscars. Uh, Paul uh, Paul DeGarabedian and Judy Inglemeyer will be here tomorrow. We will be talking oh, about that. And then on uh, Thursday, uh, Peter Topside will be in here to talk about his new book. Busy week, and of course, uh, we do also want to mention last night's uh, last night's discussion on the H two O podcast, talking about the Star Trek uh, remastered four K that's uh, now streaming on Paramount Plus and screening with Fathom Events at the end of May. Looking forward to that. 
And so that's going to do it for us today. If you would like to connect with us on socials, Twitter might be a might be a good option now. There's all of the different places where you can find us. We do invite you to sign up for the newsletter. And if you are so inclined to throw a little coin our way, there's a tip jar over there at PayPal and a Subscribestar account, and you can use that. And that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here, all of you live in the chat. Uh, you are uh, you are always welcome here. It's always good to see new faces and new names. And if you have a comment after the fact that we're live, you can still leave us a comment or send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And that's all for today. Remember, folks, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.